Hello, everybody. Um, today I'm with Dr. Paul Semendinger, who is a principal at Halls Elementary School in Ridgewood, New Jersey, where I also attended school. Um, most of us know him as Dr. Sem, and we're very glad to speak of, to him today. In addition to being a principal, Dr. Sem is an author, runner, baseball player, husband, and a dad. He enjoys running and has competed in 21 marathons. Dr. Sem also plays competitive men's softball, softball and enjoys backpacking and hiking. He was a three-sport coach in baseball, basketball, and soccer for 16 years as his children grew up, and he was also active in the Boy Scouts. Dr. Sem has written several books and presents workshops that motivate individuals to achieve their goals. As a big Yankees fan and a writer, Dr. Sem is the editor-in-chief of the very popular Yankees blog, Start Spreading the News. Dr. Sem, I remember you always had a positive, engaging presentations for the children at school. Some of the topics that you focused on were motivation, pers persistence, and determination. So thank you for joining us since those topics are important, and I think our audience would really enjoy listening to that. Brandon, thank you. This is a pleasure, and I'm glad you asked me to join you. Um, I'm going to jump straight into the questions, and my first question is, can you talk about some of the important mental components that are important for success in sports? You know, Brandon, I think uh, the things that are most important for success in sports are the exact same things that are successful or important to be successful really in any endeavor. I think you need to have a positive attitude. I think you have to believe you can do it. And I think you have to work hard to make those things happen. So success does not come just because we want it to come. Success comes because we work hard and we give our very best efforts. We find out where we need to grow and we then try to improve in those areas. If we do those things, success usually follows. One other piece of that, I think, and we talked about this a lot when you were in school, and I talk about it a lot with the kids even today, because I, and the teachers as well, because I think it's so important, is you have to be willing to fail. Failing doesn't mean the end. Failing is just a message that says, I need to change my approach, or I need to try harder, or sometimes it just means you need to try again. We have to be willing to take risks and fail because it's through failure that we actually grow. I see. And what would failure be like in sports? <laughs> it, it would be like a lot of my whole life in <laughs> sports. Um, you, you, uh, I'll tell you, here, here's a perfect example. I, you mentioned in the beginning that I'm pitching in a men's baseball league. Um, so I played baseball my whole life, but growing up, I was always a real small kid. I was probably the smallest kid in my grade for most of the ages when I went through elementary school, middle school, and high school. And as such, since I was the smallest kid, I was probably also the weakest. And when it came to competing in sports on the playground at lunchtime or recess or in Little League, and I played soccer and baseball throughout my entire childhood, I was never the star on the team, and probably there were times, I don't want to admit it, but there were probably times when I was the worst kid on the team. And so my baseball career ended uh, after my junior year in high school. Uh, I went to a small high school, Midland Park, right next door, and most of the juniors that year, and many of the sophomores, along with the seniors, all played varsity. I didn't even make varsity, which was fine because I had a great year playing JV. I had a lot of fun, but then that was the end of my baseball career until a year ago. Um, when I started playing for this uh, men's baseball league with a bunch of Ridgewood dads and it's been great and I pitch and I'm having success 
what is it, like 34 years after I last played. So we have to say, you know what, I'm willing to go out there, I'm willing to try, I'm willing to fail. But failure doesn't, again, mean the end. It just means it's, it's the beginning. And you got to just be willing to keep pushing forward and, and doing your best always. That's a great example. And also in your book, Impossible is an Illusion, you provide like uh, personal short stories centered around hard work and determination and remaining positive. Um, what led you to write this book? What led me to write that book? You're asking great questions, by the way. I appreciate this. What led me to write that book was the fact that every Friday, the teachers at Hawes get something that I call the weekly memo. Now that's not really an original name, but I think it's a fun document that they get that's filled with the calendar for the coming week. It has all the important school information, but I also begin every single one of them with a reflective essay. And sometimes the essay is, is somewhat short, but sometimes that could even go on to three or four pages. And they're all motivational and they all talk about some of the themes that we're talking about, being your best, being kind, loving kids, failing, using failure as a way to find success. And I was told by many of the teachers that, you know, these are great stories. And I just compiled them and uh, decided that it would might make a nice book. And, and it did. And did you want to like focus on remaining positive and determination specifically? Is that like one of the components that you feel comfortable the most with? Yeah, yes. Uh, I, I think I have a, a, the ability to stay positive probably 98% of the time and, and always try to find the good and look to the good. And hopefully I can help other people do the same thing, whether it be kids or teachers or other people who read the book and, and are inspired by the idea that there usually is a silver lining to everything. And there's usually a positive way to look at even the, the most dire of circumstances. And when we find that positive part of whatever it is that we're going through that's difficult, it helps us deal with it and helps us do a, a better job going forward. So how do you stay positive 98% of the time? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think, I think uh, there's a lot of reasons. I, I have a great job. You know the school. It's, it's a phenomenal school. In, in many schools, like... Um, Principals have to deal with unmotivated teachers. I don't have to deal with that. The teachers at Hawes, really the teachers throughout Ridgewood, we're, we're very fortunate to be in Ridgewood, but I, I can't speak specifically to other schools. I can only speak to, to what I live. But the teachers at Hawes, they're great. They're, they, each one is better than the next one. They each bring great perspectives. They're honest, they love kids. The parents throughout my 13, this is my 13th year, my, so my 12 plus years in Ridgewood have been only supportive they've been great and the kids you know that, that the kids are really super they're special they're they're kind to each other and then on the other end i have a great wife i have three great kids i have great parents and in-laws so i i really have a wonderful life and so sometimes even in the most difficult of circumstances if you take a step back and you realize all the good things i think it helps you stay positive um, you remain positive by because of your job and the kids. Oh, yes, How yes. would a younger athlete be positive since they don't have a job? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so I think what a young athlete has to do is understand that that child is not a finished product. None of us are. 
but I think that's easier for a 52 year old guy to say that because I've been living for a long time. And if you're a kid, I think kids often look at the athletes on TV or the athletes on the little league field or that they see maybe an older brother or a cousin and they look at themselves and find themselves to be athletically inferior. And they say, boy, I'll never be that good. And I think when you get that kind of an attitude and you think I will never be that good, then you're actually putting barriers in your way to finding success. Instead, what kids should do is they should say, I'm not a finished product. And you know what? Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback ever, obviously, was, was once um, a fourth grader and he wasn't the greatest kid. In fact, Tom Brady's whole career, I don't have all those numbers in front of me and, and all the stories, but he was never considered the superstar player until he really got his chance in the NFL. So I think we have to always understand things like that. Derek Jeter once couldn't play catch because when he was little, like everybody else, like every single human being, the first time somebody threw a ball to him, he couldn't catch it. And he couldn't hit when he first learned how to hit, I'm sure. And, and he only became great as everyone only always becomes only becomes great by working hard and by putting in the time and the effort and the energy and having that focus. And so a kid should say that. The kid should say, I'm not where I want to be. But the other thing that the kid should say is, I can get there if I work hard and I stay focused. That's great. And um, moving on to like your personal website, you have a blog post, you have a certain blog post that you talk about Kintsugi. And I thought it was really interesting because you talk about a broken bowl and how it relates to failure and acceptance. Could you share that story with us? Sure. Uh, yeah, Kintsugi is the Japanese word or the Japanese way that they fix things that are broken when they repair the break with a lacquer that's usually gold or silver. And the real point of that essay is that what we often do when we make mistakes is we try to hide those mistakes. I, I begin the essay by talking about a antique um, bowl or a dish that's on a shelf or in a in a kitchen cabinet that's on display or a china cabinet, something like that, and you're dusting and you accidentally break it. What would most people do? Most people would probably throw it away or they'd stick it in the back of the drawer so no one else can see it. But the idea of kintsugi is you actually repair it. And instead of hiding the breaks, you actually highlight where the breaks are because the idea is that we become better through the mistakes we made and through the errors. And I think it's just a great idea that we should bring into our everyday lives. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We all have good days and we all have bad days. And sometimes what we need to do, we probably should do this always, is look at the mistakes we make and and try to fix them and find ways to fix them. But the idea of Kintsugi is instead of hiding the way we fix it, is we put it out there for everyone to see, like this is where I needed to grow and this is how I did grow. And, and we repair ourselves right out there in the open so everyone can see that we're working hard to be the best us that we can be. So if a younger athlete didn't do well in a competition for sports, would he just say, oh, I didn't do well to like his whole team? Is that what Kintsugi means? I don't know if it means that. Um, I think any athlete who doesn't do well in a competitive contest, the teammates will know that. 
I think what you could do is you could say, hey, that's on me. I, I wouldn't dwell on that, especially as a young athlete, because every single athlete has blown a game. Every single one of them. Every single famous athlete has, has, has blown a game. In baseball, you know, it's considered to be a great season if you hit 300. Well, hitting 300 means that you're out seven out of every 10 times. So you're failing most often. That's the way most sports are. Maybe not quite to the extent of a baseball batting average, but in every single sport, every single player has found periods of time when they have blown games and they have caused their own team to lose. So I think sometimes you have to own it. Um, but I don't, I don't know if you have to just go around anytime your team loses and say it was my fault. One of the things I used to try to teach my teams when I coached them, when my kids were growing up and I coached all the, their sports, was that we are as good as the collective. Like as a team, we're going to win together and we're going to lose together. And I would start off the season, especially in soccer, and I would say, hey, if Brandon scores the winning goal, who won the game for us? And the kid's immediate reaction would be Brandon. And I would say, no, that's not the answer. The answer is we all won the game for us. Brandon put the ball in the net, but he wasn't the kid who won the game. We all won the game. And to try to get the kids to understand that. So I, I don't want kids to walk around and say, like, I blew the game. I, I, I don't know if that's very productive, especially at a young age. I agree. That's interesting. And also you wrote about rejection that you experienced when trying to write your book and get it published. How did you stay positive during that time? Wow, that's another great question. Um, you know, I think when you realize that you can do something, it might take other people a longer time to realize that you can also do that. And I had enough faith in my writing that I knew that even if I got rejected for years, that eventually somebody would see the promise in, in what I was writing. And so, yes, I got, I got rejected for years and years and years. I went to writing conferences and they told me I was terrible. <laughs> and they uh, um, told me some of my stories, especially some of the kids' stories I wrote, didn't make any sense, but they do make sense. That, that doesn't have a story arc. I said, yes, it does. But there's always going to be people who tell you no. And what we have to do, as, as I said at the beginning, is, is we also have to believe in ourselves and we can't let ourselves be defined by the negative impressions that other people have about whatever, especially any negative impressions they may have towards us. If we have the confidence and then the willingness to work hard to do what's necessary, we will eventually, I believe, find success most often. And how did you turn that failure or disappointment into something positive? I kept working hard. <laughs> Uh, I, I found um, other people who are authors. I heard from their experiences. One author who's a friend of mine now uh, suggested that I get my manuscripts edited by a professional editor before I send them to publishers rather than after. I always thought the process was you sent something that was pretty good but not great to a publisher. He said, no, you really want to send it almost perfect. and then they might edit on the edges or even do a big edit to it. But you want to sense that's your best work. You don't want to send something that's not quite 100%, even if you think it might be. And the only way to make it seem 100% is to invest in a professional editor who can help polish around the edges or, or wherever it needs to be fixed. 
or improved so that it really reads and looks much more presentable than it might if it's just you looking at it or a friend looking at it or a relative. It's definitely not going to be as professional as if you have somebody who's a professional look at it. You just have to say, yeah, like I can do this. And, and I've always believed. There's also an element uh, of, of faith and belief and, and uh, things like that. So, you know, I do pray and uh, I did selfishly ask God for uh, his help as, as I went through and as I still go through the publishing process because uh, I think that can also help as well. I understand. And you wrote many books, but would you mind talking about maybe a specific part in any of your books that you think would be beneficial for young athletes? Wow. Uh, you're catching me off guard on that one. I would have to, uh, I think the idea Kintsugi was a good one. Um, I'm going to pull the book out now, but why don't you ask another question while I flip through and try to pick out one of my stories here. Okay. And, and uh, I'll try to do two things at the same time. I'll try to go through the book and I will try to, ah, um, I think I have a good idea. But you ask another question, I'll try to find a good story. Great. Um, another question I have is that, is there ever a point when it doesn't make sense to remain positive? So for example, if a kid likes his sport, but is not that good at it and doesn't get play time, should he continue playing that sport as he gets older? Yes. I think there comes a point in time when we have to realize that certain sports may not be for us or playing at a high competitive level might not be how we best enjoy the sport. I think we basically come to those realizations as we, as we start to grow up. Like, yeah, I'm just not at that level anymore. But that doesn't mean we can't play the sport. One of the things that happens, and it really goes against what most kids think would happen, is if you stay active athletically, and even if you're not making the high school team, if there's a rec team you could play for, or even if there isn't a rec team, if you can just stay active with the sport, let's just use soccer as an example. You know, most people think if you don't play high school soccer, your soccer career is over for the rest of your life. But the thing that really most kids I don't think realize happens is once you reach a certain age, it can happen like for a club team in, in college or an intramurals team in college. And then it happens virtually in every town, in every sport, especially in this area, that there are grown-up leagues for those sports. And I've played... Uh, I'm not very good at basketball. I've played in various grown-up basketball leagues. And then again, I, as, I, as you said in the beginning, I play uh, men's softball. Now I'm playing baseball. That the opportunity comes sometimes later in life when you get a chance to play the sport that you might not have succeeded at as much as a kid. And actually, I found out that once I grew up and I was roughly the same size as most of the other people playing, as a grown-up, that I actually people actually thought I was pretty good at what I uh, at what I do and, and the way I play, and so you can find out that maybe uh, as a kid you might not be very good, but you might find that as you grow up that you're actually better than you thought you were, and you're able to compete as a grown-up rather than as a kid. So I would never ever suggest if there was something a kid loves doing to not do that. That's great. And did you find, like, anything in that story that you would like to share? You know, I'm flipping through, and there's a couple examples uh, of stories about 
uh, me running marathons in in the book and what goes through your mind when you do that and that those might be good examples running a marathon is a race that's 26.2 miles it's the average person i think runs a marathon in just about four hours and 45 minutes to five hours it's a long grueling process but someone a dear friend of mine told me many many years ago when i started thinking about running a marathon he said Really, if you're athletic and you're in a good enough shape, anybody can run a marathon. And I thought, that's crazy. And so I was just running, and I was running a lot, but I, I wasn't running big time marathon miles. And then one day I, I uh, had this goal of trying to reach 10 miles and I kept working up to it a little more each week, maybe five miles this week, a couple miles, a couple weeks later, maybe I did six or seven, a couple weeks later, maybe I made it to eight. And one day I came home after doing 10, and I said, and this man was a marathoner. And I said, I just did 10 miles. I hit my goal. And he goes, but don't you want to run a marathon? I'm like, yeah, but I can't do this again. And then six more miles. And he said, Paul, if you can run 10 miles, you can run a marathon. And I thought, well, how is that possible? And he said, just like you've been doing. If you can run 10, if you keep training, you can run 11. And then if you keep training, you can run 12. And you just keep building and building and building. And you can find out that you can do things that you never thought possible. And I think that's a great message. You can't just wake up one day and run a marathon, but if you follow a training program over many, many, many months, you can do something that very few people have ever done and find that you're successful at it and that you achieve an athletic goal that, again, is something that most people haven't done and that usually, or oftentimes, it makes you want to do it again and again. I see. And were the first couple marathons for you really difficult Actually, <laughs> the first one was such an absolute joy that it, it, it made me hooked for life. Uh, I ran the New York City Marathon in 2002. I trained very well for it. I read books about how to train for marathons. I talked to people who run marathons. And it was so unbelievably great for a little kid who wanted to be a Yankee and who never made it, obviously. When you run the marathon, you, especially in a, a big marathon in a big city, there are people that line the streets. So for four hours and 24 minutes, there were people cheering me and yelling for me and telling me I was awesome. You, you feel like you're a, a professional athlete, even though they're doing that for every one of the 50,000 people that are running, you feel like they're all cheering for you. And it was so cool and so great. I finished and I thought, I can't wait to do this again. And that's why I keep doing it. That's great. I know you've ran a lot and it must be really fun for you. Um, also, besides from being a principal, you have a lot of activities like a writer, an athlete, speaker, and you also volunteer. How do you have so much time to do all these things? Somebody once said, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. You just figure out a way and you make the time. And I do wake up very early. I wake up at around four o'clock in the morning to do a whole lot of stuff before I ever go to work. And, um, and then you just figure it out. You make the time, you, you make priorities. So there's a lot of things I don't do, right? I don't spend a whole lot of time watching TV. I don't spend a lot of times uh, going out to parties and, and doing things like that. So, you know, there's other parts of things that people may value more than I do that they think are important uh, that I don't, that I, that I do other things instead of those things. So 
I find ways to spend my time in the pursuits of things that I want to spend my time with. And when my kids were growing up, especially, that was like making my time for them through Boy Scouts and coaching their teams and, and being their dad and being present and taking them on trips and reading to them and doing all those kinds of things. Do you live by a motto or multiple mottos that help you uh, keep you motivated and positive? <laughs> yeah, there's about a million of them. <laughs> there's, there's so many great quotes. I actually have little books of quotes that I, that I have and some of them I write down and some of them are just books of quotes. Um, I, I would have to move away from the microphone to go grab one or one of them. But um, I'll tell you one of my favorites. I have to just go on my email here because I just sent it to somebody. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Okay. If not, I can I can paraphrase it. But what I want to do is I want to get you the real the real quote. So let me just see if I can get it real fast for you here. Here it is. It's by Theodore Roosevelt. And actually, I have this read to the teachers. I read this to the teachers on the first day of school and on the last day of school. And I'm sure the quote appears in a number of my books. It goes like this. The credit belongs to those who are actually in the arena, who strive valiantly, who know the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spend themselves in a worthy cause, who at the best know the triumph of high achievement, and who... At the worst, if they fail, fail while daring greatly, so that their place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. That's a great quote. And um, <laughs> what are some tips you can give to our listeners that are also juggling a lot of activities, sports, and feeling overwhelmed and ready to give up? Never give up. Sometimes when they're feeling the most overwhelmed is when everything sort of just falls into place. I think we have to recognize that none of us are superhumans and that everyone feels overwhelmed from time to time. Um, you know this. We were going to do this interview probably about 10 days ago, and I was in a meeting, and the meeting just went very long. And I, I actually was feeling bad about that and I was feeling a little overwhelmed because you would you and I had wanted to do an interview and I'd given you my word that that would be the good day to do it and then it just didn't work out because I was in a meeting that never ended and so sometimes you just have to admit that this is not the time I'm going to succeed in a sense that was a failure I failed you but instead of looking at it as the end you asked me to do an interview I said I can't do it today that could have been the failure and the end of it. Instead, we talked through email and we just made a new date. And that's how we got to today. And you just keep moving forward. You don't have to always um, succeed and um, in every one of these things that you're trying to juggle at that moment. Sometimes you have to prioritize. Sometimes you have to put some, some things on the back burner. Sometimes some things that you wanna do there's just not time for, and you just have to say, I can't do those things. I have a piano in my house, and I always want to convince myself that I'm going to get good at playing the piano. And I have to realize that right now, making the time to do that, it's not something that's going to happen. So instead of being down about that or, or getting frustrated about the fact that I can't make piano time, I just have to say that that's something I'll look forward to someday in the future. And, and if we prioritize like that, 
and we look at what's most important. So if you're a high school kid who's an athlete, who's also feeling overwhelmed by some of the other things, again, sometimes you have to make choices. If the choice is between hanging out with friends and getting the college essay done or studying for a test or getting a report finished, you may have to make the hard choice and do the schoolwork because that really is going to benefit you better and uh, more long-term than going for the easy answer and just going out and hanging out and doing whatever with your friends. I understand. And you used to be a teacher and then became a principal. You work with kids all day. And so what have you, what have you learned from kids as it applied to motivation or determination? Um, kids are phenomenal. One of the things I always find that's great about kids is that they can do anything and they believe they can do anything. And they have this great optimism, this great hope because the future is theirs. The future isn't mine. The future is the kids and they bring that positive energy. And if we just listen to it and we embrace it and we become part of it, then how can you not also stay positive and energetic and, and happy? Because that's what the kids are bringing each and every day. Got it. And those are all my questions, but do you have any other resources or tips or advice that you'd like to share? Oh my goodness. I think you covered a lot of it. Um, let, let, let's just go back to where we started at the beginning. Stay positive, believe in yourself, understand that you can fail but failure is not the end. Failure is often the beginning. Understand that everyone who is successful and who has found success has failed, but also put in the necessary time in order to figure out why they failed and to become better at it. Never give up. Never give up your dreams. Never say, I can't. The better words to that are words like until now or I couldn't but I might be able to someday and keep working towards those goals, knowing that you're not going to achieve all of them. So don't get overwhelmed by the fact that you have a lot of goals and you can't achieve them all at this very moment, but know that through working hard, you can achieve most, if not all of them over time, never give up, stay positive. Also always be kind. We didn't, we didn't get a whole lot of talking about that part of it. Love everyone. Understand that, the world needs people to be kind to each other. We need to have empathy and understand each other and work with each other and help each other. Sometimes we get our biggest boosts when we actually bend down to help somebody else, right? And when we give of ourselves, we often receive much more in return, even if that's not why we were giving in the first place. So there, there's a lot on that that we could talk about maybe another time, but that's all good stuff too. You know, love the world because uh, they're all there for you and we need to be there for them. That sounds great. And I think everybody loves your positivity and you said a great, um, you're a great role model for everybody. And um, thank you for everybody that's listened to the end of this podcast. And thanks again, Dr. Sim, for sharing your insights.